Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you, and I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And, yes, we are black free thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. You know, i got to make sure I keep that straight. People understand that. And as for me and my black free thinkers, we shall read books. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just it's been really interesting um, the past few weeks, past few months, past few years. Hell, I've had a lot going on in my life. And for those, you know, who know me in real life, you know, some of the things that are happening, I don't think anyone knows everything that's happening, but, you know, you kind of have an idea as to what has been going on over in Kimmy World. So um, you guys know I love books. And so because I move, I have a lot of things that aren't with me right here. Um, you know, they're stored up somewhere else, so I don't have all my books. And so, of course, that's making me feel some kind of way. Now, there's no way in the world I can read all of those books at once, but I just love the convenience of having them at my fingertips. I mean, I went through all of the hassle of <laughs> of buying, you know, um, organizers and everything so that I could put everything away. But I've managed to cobble through a few books um, and go to some of the local bookstores. And, you know, I've had people say, oh, well, Kim, we love when you tell us about, you know, the different books that you have now. I'm going to read all some books. That doesn't necessarily mean that these are the books that I'm currently reading. I'll indicate those particular books. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you the ones that I'm currently kind of browsing through. One book specifically is The Unfinished Quest of Richard Wright, by Michael Faber, or Faber, however you want to pronounce his name. And I've been leafing through it. Now, he did something with this book that ticks me off when authors do this. They label the chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. So you have no context. It's kind of hard. And you have to go through and you have to read the entire book, you know, to get the gist of it. I understand why some of you do this. I just don't like it. Personally, but anyway, um, the unfinished quest of Richard Wright, and looking through some of the information in this book, I'm starting to believe that there is a tie from him to my family. So I'm going to have to call my cousin, who's like the family historian that keeps up with all of this stuff, to find out because, um, yeah. His parents, you know, were from the same area where my parents are from. So it's just really interesting. So I'm reading that right now. I'm also reading The Racial State by David Theo Goldberg. And, again, The Racial State by David Theo Goldberg. And, you know, what's interesting is um, Mr. Goldberg presented at the Black European Summer School this past summer. So I had the pleasure of talking with him and being instructed and guided by him, and I'm actually looking forward to booking him on the show sometime soon. But I want to go through the book. He went over quite a bit of it, and I need to pull out my notes 
and um, my recordings and all of that so that I can go back and refresh myself. There are videos out there. I know I had retweeted some. And so go out there and, and look it up. Like I said, The Racial State, David Theo Goldberg. Um, I have another book. I'm not reading this one right now, but it's called The Confessions of Nat Turner and Related Documents. And it's an interesting book. It was edited by Kenneth S. Greenberg. And so it's really interesting because it has copies of documents and firsthand um, um, copies of his confessions and all of that. So it's interesting reading. I've just browsed through it, but I'm looking forward to that. And considering this of the world and what's happening with this white nationalism and this white globalism with the white supremacy, you know, we tell you guys all the time that you all create radicals. And I would not be surprised if you all are creating new Nat Turners. And I mean, I know that may be horrifying for some of you, but again, being not racist is not good enough anymore. You have to be anti-racist. And one of the books, another book that I'm reading is Poetics of Relation by Edouard Glissant. And I brought this up before because I was talking about a term that I learned from this book, which is focacity, F-O-C-A-C-I-T-Y. And it's interesting. So, you know, I'm kind of reading this for understanding, which means I'm reading it from cover to cover. You know, it's not a lot of books that I read from cover to cover, but I actually am really interested in this book and what I can learn from it. So, again, Poetics of Relation from Edouard Glissant, Focacity, F-O-C-A-C-I-T-Y, Focacity. And so here, um, I'm just going to run through some more. Talking at the Gate, A Life of James Baldwin, it was written by James Campbell, Black Women in the Fiction of James Baldwin, um, a book written about Zora Neale Hurston, Hemingway, H-E-M-E-N-W-A-Y. Let's see here. What is this here? African-American Religious Study by Milton C. Cernet, S-E-R-N-E-T-T. It's a book here by talking about Claude McKay. Those who aren't familiar with Claude McKay, it takes you all the way back to the Harlem Renaissance, which I've talked about, you know, off and on on this show. Um, another book, Foundation of Capitalism, written by Oliver Cox. Now, I've been getting to Oliver Cox this year, which has been really interesting. It's been good reading. So, Foundations of Capitalism by Oliver Cox, Race Relations, Elements, and Social Dynamics by Oliver Cox. Uh, what is this other book here? Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. I have the other book, too, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, the Mind of Oliver Cox. This is written by Macaulay. Representation of the Intellectual. This was written by Edward Said. And there's some really interesting writing in this book. You know, I've just had a chance to kind of browse through it, but, um, you know, it, it, it's been interesting um, talking about James Baldwin, Malcolm X. It's also talking about Islam and it's talking about, you know, how, how, how Muslims and Islam was condemned even then and, and Islamophobia 
even though I don't believe that was the terminology for it then. So it's been an interesting read. Um, again, I told you The Mind of Oliver C. Cox, written by Christopher McCauley. This book here, Race, Class, and the World System, The Sociology of Oliver C. Cox. And this was written by Herbert Hunter and Samir Abraham. Now, again, you guys, I've just kind of been browsing through these books, just leafing through it, and it's, it's been interesting. Um, another one is Black on Black Violence by Amos Wilson. Again, Black on Black Violence from Amos Wilson. Black on Black, Black Violence is much different than Black on Black Crime. For those that have been listening to the show, you do understand that I do not believe in Black on Black Crime. It is not a thing. The only way black-on-black crime is a thing is if white-on-white crime is a thing. You refuse to acknowledge that, and so, therefore, you understand what I'm talking about. Now, there are two books that were required reading for the Black European Summer School. One book titled 20 Questions and Answers on Black Europe, and this was written by Stephen Small, and um, it's, it's a really good book. It's a really, really good book. Dr. Small did a wonderful job. Um, he instructed us um, and and just a great guy. The other book is Black Europe and the African Diaspora. And so this is edited by Darlene Clark Hine, Trisha or Trika, Daniel Keaton, and Stephen Small. So Dr. Small again. But the title of this book, Black Europe and the, Amer- and the African Diaspora. So it was really interesting, you know, at the Black European Summer School on how we had to try to view white supremacy, understand the language, you know, um, put some of these topics together and in, in, in frame it from a context, from a European, a black European's. Um, viewpoint from a that black European lens. So it was a lot of learning. And so I need to pull those recordings back up. I need to go back through my notes, you know, both my computerized notes and my handwritten notes, because I've come up with quite a few show topics and ideas. And, you know, I know I'm never going to get to that. You know, I have a couple of notepads, really about three or four, of those really huge five-subject notebooks, and I call them the Holy Grail or the Holy Grails, if you will, because they have my notes of what I think about certain books, show topics, ideas about other things that I wanted to do, and, you know, kind of browsing through some of them because some of them are in the storage room. How that happened, I don't know. I When it was time for me to move, I don't know. It's just my mind went blank. I don't know what was going on. Yeah, I do. I know exactly what was going on with me. But, um, yeah, I've come to the conclusion that it's time to write a book. Actually, it's time to write a couple of books. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be afforded time to devote to these things. You know, there are some other things happening in my life and activities and all of that. And for some things, I'm just going to have to pull all the way back. And there are a number of reasons for that. And um, at the end of the day, 
I'm not going to have a stroke, and I'm not going to get an ulcer for bullshit. And that's just how it goes. I got enough issues going on. I can't take on a lot of extra stuff. And it's unfortunate because sometimes people don't understand the type of stress that you're going through. And having other stress added on to it just makes the situation even worse. And sometimes it's kind of hard to back out of it. And so the only thing you can do is just pull away. And so, um, you know, some conversations that I'm going to have to have with a few people because, I don't know, at this point it's like, what do you do? So anyway, moving on. We lost um, a few people this week, but um, I'm only going to focus on one, which was Aretha Franklin. And, you know, I posted a few things, and I've seen all of these wonderful think pieces and tributes, and Aretha Franklin was, you know, a force to be reckoned with. I mean, she was just Aretha, period. And she was a black feminist icon, you know, um, respect was one of the civil rights anthems right alongside of I'm Black and I'm Proud and a number of other you know, songs that are out there, you know, a number of writers and producers, you can't forget Curtis Mayfield and a number of other people that were out there writing these songs. Aretha Franklin was on the front line performing at these student rallies, doing fundraisers and all of this to support the movement. And so when Angela Davis, you know, something that people may not know or they may have found out, you know, um, after Aretha's death, is that Aretha Franklin supported Angela Davis. And when Angela Davis was arrested, Aretha Franklin was going to post her bail. And and what was interesting about it is that her father, C.L. Franklin, disagreed with her and told her that she didn't know what she's doing, but she had her mind made up. And so there was this, you know, I'm giving you a small quote. You can go and look this up for yourself. Like I said, trust but verify. But Aretha Franklin said Angela Davis must go free. Black people will be free. And if you want to hear more about that, Angela Davis did an interview on Democracy Now! Go and take a listen to that. She talks about her time with Aretha Franklin and Aretha Franklin's support and what Aretha meant to her. Elaine Brown gave a beautiful tribute to Aretha Franklin on her Facebook page. You may want to head over there and read that, you know, um, Aretha Franklin, you know, was on the battle line. I mean, she was arrested. She was there, you know, and from my understanding, you know, she she was using her voice. And, I mean, this is what I've come to the, you know, what I've concluded. You know, she used her voice. She used her platform she put herself on the line. She showed up. She raised money. She sent checks. She did all of that to support the civil rights movement. And, again, for those of you that have been listening to this show and know anything about me, you know that I always say that the civil rights movement started when the first slave tried to escape. You know, and so it's, it's been really interesting. But She seemed like, you know, a woman who knew who and what she was. She was not going to allow folks to intimidate her. She loved herself, and people couldn't take that from her. 
and we saw a lot of people trying to take her down in a number of ways, you know, with, with just attempting to shame her on so many levels. And, you know, and, and understandably, I believe some of it got to her, but she wouldn't let you see it. She didn't try to show it in public. So, you know, she did her own thing. She was her own person. She knew who she was, what she wanted, and she went out there and she got it. So, you know, she was a young mother. She was mistreated by men in her life. You know, she had setbacks. Hell, there were some setups. You know, but she rose to the occasion and she thrived. So we should celebrate her life, celebrate her legacy. She's an icon. There will never be another Aretha Franklin. And with that, I will tell you guys, you know, you have people out here arguing about who should be doing tributes to Miss Franklin on these award shows. I get it. And, yes, someone was on the Internet slandering Tevin Campbell. Oh, my Lord. That was interesting to watch over on Twitter. And so, <laughs> you know, Tevin Campbell, that guy right there just, you know, unbelievably talented. You know, um, Fantasia. I mean, we disagree with her on some things, especially when she opens her mouth and makes some comments, especially comments about the LGBTQ community. I think Fantasia has learned her lesson to just keep her mouth shut about these things because it creates drama that I'm sure she doesn't want to deal with. But um, Fantasia is absolutely phenomenal, and we should cherish her. And that's all I have to say about that. So anyway, um, again, condolences to Miss Franklin's family, friends, fans, everybody who loved her, hell, even everybody who hated her. You hated her for a reason, but at the end of the day, it's undeniable that she was an extremely talented, gifted woman, and she'll be missed, but her music and her legacy will live on. So let's try to show some respect and um, celebrate her, okay? So, you know, I had to say that about Miss Franklin and what she has done for the black community. Undeniable. Undeniable. You know, she put herself into that. And she did not deny her blackness. She was not compromising on that. You know, and I believe she was unapologetically black. We all know she was fierce. We all know she was talented, gifted. She was a prodigy, you know, and from my understanding, she was ever learning. And so she opened her mind. I mean, she did some wonderful, some phenomenal things, and I'm sure more information will be coming out about, you know, her contributions and, and her philanthropy and all of that. You know, it's like not everyone puts all of that on Front Street. Not everyone wants everyone to know every penny that they've donated to organizations or individuals. And sometimes it's not about money. And to me, to be honest, to be honest with you, you know, the money means nothing. You know, I'm sure she has spoken greatness. She has spoken words of wisdom into the lives of people. Those words will be with you forever. You're going to spend that money up. And then you got to also remember, in some of these cases, when someone gives you a donation and gives you money, they expect something in return. 
And it's going to take more than a smile. So remember that. So, again, she's spoken into our lives. You know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, one of the very first words many of us learned how to spell, right? And so, (laughs) you know, just absolutely phenomenal. So anyway, I'm going to move on from that. Um, For those of you that aren't familiar, a nationwide prison strike is going to take place. Um, This prison strike is for reformation of the system. They want to reform the prison system. And this is going to take place from August 21st through September 9th. This is going to happen all across the country. And if you have any interest or any curiosity about it, please Google it. You can find the latest news out there. Personally, I feel that prisons need to be abolished. And um, Eva Bluff um, online was talking about a talk that Angela Davis gave regarding reformation versus, you know, abolishment. And I agree with Angela Davis that reforming the system is just another way of of mixing it up, remixing the institutionalized, the systemic racist system. So basically what they're doing is shuffling the white supremacy. We need to get rid of that system. We need to abolish the prison industrial complex, period. We need to abolish ICE. We need to abolish a number of things because reforming it is just going to give people the excuse to just shuffle things around, and that's what's been happening all of this time. See, the white supremacy and the institutionalized, the systemic racism, it hasn't gone away. What they do is they find a way to remix it and shuffle it around to give the appearance. Of, of progress Well that's not the case Because the little bit that they do give you Trust me on the back end They're taking 20 things away So you get three new You know so called um, Advancements Or three new policies Or three new laws That are put on the books But on the back end They're taking away civil liberties They're taking away your rights In other areas Or rewriting certain policies And laws that basically negate the three new, you know, uh, three new laws or policies that they put on the books. And this is why we always have to have people watching and looking and listening and reporting. And so, you know, I just kind of wanted to bring that to your attention. This is happening all across the country. Um, I think they have at least 21 prisons that are going to participate in this. And this is an acknowledgement, a tribute to, you know, the the prison uprising at Attica. So go out and do some reading about it because these prison strikes have been happening for, for decades. This is nothing new, but it's starting to get more press. It's starting to pick up, you know, more um, acknowledgement. So, you know, go out. And take a look around, especially black and brown people. I mean, this this impacts our community in 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 a very great way. So again, I'm not saying you have to study it, but what I'm saying is just go out, take a look, see what's happening out there, and 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 try to get a, a better understanding as to why these types of protests are happening. 
and and why it needs to be acknowledged and and why these changes need to happen and how you can play a part in that. And what I mean when I say how you can play a part in that is get the information out there, get a better understanding as to why this is happening. And so what's so interesting about that is, you know, I've unfriended a lot of folks on Facebook, unfollowed on Twitter, you know, for a number of different reasons, and, you know, it's okay. And like I've stated before, it's not personal. Sometimes I just have to get you out of my news feed because sometimes some of the stuff that people post, I'm like, have you lost your mind? So, you know, that brings me to last night. I ended up blocking a couple of people. Now, unfriending you is generally, you know, how I handle that. I'm like, what is this crazy stuff? And I'll unfriend you. But for me to turn around and block you, yeah, something was going on. And what was interesting was there was this, you know, Latino young man. He claimed to be Latino from Panama. And, you know, he was going on this rant about black men and black men you know, needing to follow the law and that Black Lives Matter should be teaching black men to follow the law and not commit crimes. So I read through the little thread and went on his wall, and I'm like, this is crazy. It's just, and the people that were responding to him. So I just went on and I blocked them. And we had over a couple of hundred um, mutual friends you know, part of me sometimes want to block those mutual friends, but who has that kind of time? So anyway, I'm going to move on from that, and I would be remiss if I did not mention what was happening with the Catholic Church and what's been happening and all of this information that's been coming out in regards to them raping these babies and raping adults. And in some cases, it was consensual with the adults. There is no way to have consensual sex with a child. Okay, let's make sure that's understood. But that's not just the Catholic Church. This happens in the Christian Church as well. And so I know some of you are like, well, aren't Catholics Christians? Yeah, that's what I say, but, you know, but they sell and point the fingers. And so you got the Catholics and you got the Protestants. And I'm not going to go into all of that because I ain't Martin Luther. And, so, and I ain't trying to nail nothing up to no damn church door. But, you know, I'm talking about protecting the babies and protecting vulnerable people. You know, and what's happening is in these cases they were passing the priests around. And the same thing happened in the church. You know, they, they, they'll pass these pastors, these ministers around. The church will, in some cases, pay off the families of the children that were raped and molested, or if they don't pay them off, in some cases, they're threatened or or they're cajoled, if you will, into not saying anything and saying that's not of God. They find some type of scripture, or they'll be looking at you like, look, we need you to let this shit go. Yeah, we know that's your kid, and this is an adult, and that never should have happened. But, you know, um, we we need for you to let go and let God handle this. And what was 
you know, what was interesting with this latest information that has come out regarding the Catholic Church is that some of the victims, some of the babies that they raped, they gave them gold gold crosses. And these gold crosses that they were given were set up as marks so that the other priests knew that this was a victim, this was a mark that they could. And you had other priests and other preachers and other ministers and other church leaders. They cover this stuff up. And in some cases they cover it up because they are guilty of something or the other themselves. And so there's a lot of this that's happening and that if that's been covered up over the years and it's coming out. And this is one of the reasons why you see so much resistance to the Me Too and the Time's Up movements that are out here. You know, especially when you have a lot of these men protecting other men in an effort to protect themselves. And let's not get it twisted. There are women out here that are, you know, raping these babies. There are women out here that are abusing their authority, abusing their power, and pressuring others to have sexual relations with them. That happens. And it needs to be addressed. You know, you have people out here that, uh, you know, that will go to any length to get what they want, even if they have to harm other people. So, again, protect the babies, protect these children. All of this information needs to be out there. As far as the Catholic Church is concerned, I feel that, you know, all of the money, all of the proceeds, all of the riches of the Catholic Church should be stripped from them. And those of you that are out here and you know that your pastor is a pedophile, prophet pedophile, and, and, and you know, out here, you know, raping men and women and intimidating people and coercing them, into sex or or performing services or basically being their real-life slaves because in some of these churches, especially some of these, you know, black Christian churches that I've been in and read about, you know, you have these people out here that will basically use and abuse the members of the church and pass it off as, you know, doing God's work being a willing worker, and you're abusing these folks. You're taking advantage of them. You're hurting them, all in the name of the Lord. And these people are taking it because they were told that this was godly and that this was their mission. And, you know, people are starting to wake up and coming into the understanding that what that was called was abuse. And so... Then you have there's some of the church folks that want to turn around and call it church hurt and, and try to justify the harming of other people. There's no way you can justify that. No way, no how. And the fact that you're trying to do it, you're complicit. And for those out there that have been silent, your silence 
this tacit agreement with the treatment that these people have been under. You know, you've had some of these folks telling folks, no, you don't have to go to a doctor to deal with your mental health issues. Let God deal with it. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. In the meantime, we need you here at 7 a.m., and we need you scrubbing these floors and bring your own toothbrush and bring the cleaning supplies, and you need to bring a donation because we've got to turn on the lights while you're here, and the church doesn't function without money because we still have bills to pay. And then once that's over, if pastor or the assistant pastor or one of the other male members of the church or female members of the church, if they decide they want to have a little fun with you, whether is being abusive or what, what, what the hell ever. You are to submit yourselves unto them. And it's bullshit. And people are speaking up and people are speaking out and they need to continue to do so. And more and more of these stories are, you know, coming up and then you have, you know, people in leadership dismissing it as gossip when it's not. And people are, you know, this is coming out more and more every day. So anyway, I'm trying not to go into that, but, you know, I do want to do a series of shows talking about these things specifically. So I'm going to have to put myself again. Last time I did a show a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about time management and getting back on a schedule and trying to put all of this stuff together and, you know, finding my focus and trying to stay focused and trying to stay on a path and move forward with some of the things that I want and need to do. But, yeah, I do need to write a couple of books. Um, You know, talking about some of the things that I've learned and putting it in context and, and, and pointing at, some of the issues that need to be pointed out and that need to be discussed. So anyway, moving forward, um, those of you, August 11th and 12th that weekend is when they had their White Civil Rights Movement March, and seems as seems as though only a few dozen people showed up to exalt white rights and and to talk about, you know, the grieved angry, cisgendered, heterosexual white man and how he's been wronged. Now, you know, this would be a great segue into today's show. However, that's not how I wanted to set it up because there are a number of things that I want to talk about. But regarding that white civil rights movement march, you know, even though only a few dozen people showed up, I need for you all to understand that it was still a success. And even though you had thousands of resistors and protesters out there, it was still a huge success for these white supremacists. They are now mainstreamed. And that's been that's been their primary goal. Now where they're falling short, with the exception of that second visit, that second march that they had in Charlottesville, where they're falling short is trying to figure out how to move their movement from the cyber world, from online to offline. And that's, you know, a problem that many groups have been facing across the board, but specifically that movement. But I need for you all to understand that they are now mainstreamed. 
And this is a recruiting tool. And the media, the mainstream media is playing into this, and they're giving these people platforms, and they're imploring that we empathize with this particular group of people. It is not my job to empathize, sympathize, to understand, to exalt, to acknowledge in any way white supremacists. This is dangerous. And it's dangerous for a number of reasons. And I need for you guys to wake up, you know, and, and understand that a lot of these people are people in power. You have people that are being fired from their jobs, from being exposed as being members of these these hate groups these white nationalists, these white supremacists, you know, groups that are out here. But they're just going to turn around and find another job, and they're going to turn around and, 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 and be supported by other people within the movement. What you need to understand, especially you black and brown, red and yellow folks out there that are listening, these people have money, and they know how to raise money. And they have people with a lot of money and power backing them and willing money over to them. One thing you all need to pay attention to is ALEC, A-L-E-C. Go and look that group up and some of the changes that are being made through that group. And one of the changes, well, one of the things that's happening now with ALEC and why I'm bringing it to your attention is because they want to make some changes in the Constitution. And they are making great progress in, 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 in trying to put together um, a constitutional convention in which they will be able to go in and have the different states ratify changes to the Constitution of this country. And you need to understand they love the second Constitution, but there are some changes they want to make to the First Amendment, and when I say, I'm sorry, the Second Amendment, they, they love that, you know, the right to bear arms. And we all know that I'm an advocate for the Second Amendment. I do believe in the right to bear arms. But they want to make some changes with the First Amendment. So sorry about that, not the Second Constitution, the Second Amendment. And they definitely want to make some changes with that First Amendment. Go out, and I need for you guys to look up Alec and why they pose such a danger, as well as Citizens United. And, and remember Citizens United, and, and because it's going to come back up later on in the show, if I get to it, but Citizens United and the changes that were made as a result of Citizens United, and why at this point in time, with the Republicans trying to get Kavanaugh um, installed on in the, on the Supreme Court, why that's dangerous, and the changes that are going to be made. I need you guys to pay attention to the news and pay attention to who these people are and why they pose such a danger. <sighs> you know, um, we talked about the Voting Rights Act and how, you know, they pretty much stripped, you know, Section 5. And I've been telling you that they're going after Section 2. I need you to look that up and understand what's happening there and why they are 
trying to take away the right to vote from people with the gerrymandering, you know, the redistricting, um, and, and, and how, you know, they're purging the voter rolls and, and what's happening and how, and, you know, people are ringing the alarms as to how these voting systems have been infiltrated by, you know, the Russians and others especially down there in Florida. You know, we've had people out here now most recently talking about, you know, what's going on down there. And it's not just Florida. It's all over this country. And at one point in time, I was so disillusioned by Donald Trump winning the presidency, even though, you know, two, three weeks before he won, I declared him the winner. I knew he was going to win. And, again, I can stand here and tell you he's going to win re-election at this point. And, you know, I thought about not voting anymore, especially in federal, you know, um, elections. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue voting federal, state, local elections and putting the word out there, as a matter of fact, I know I'm going to be doing some canvassing, but not too much because there's only so much I can do physically, but working with some groups that are registering people to vote, you know, it's important that, you know, and I would encourage those of you out there that are listening, register to vote and then go do it. Pick some folks up, take them to the polling place. Go talk to your local organizations and churches and ask them about using their church vans and buses and setting up a bus schedule, getting people to the polling places. You know, there are certain places in this country, particularly in the South, and especially in the state of Georgia that's heating up with the governor's race, because Stacey Abrams is making tremendous progress. And at this point, it looks like she's going to win, if I must say so myself. So what they're trying to do is close down polling places in majority black counties. You all need to go out there and read that. I retweeted an article talking about that and what's happening in Georgia. So go and read about that and find out what's happening. And it's not just there. This is happening across the country. Put that information out there. People need to know what's happening. For those of you that are registered to vote, I would strongly suggest that you check on your voting status to make sure that you have not been purged from the voting rolls. And I would strongly advise you to check periodically all the way up to the very last day that you are allowed to register to vote for wherever you are because the last thing I want is for you to show up and not be able to vote because you were purged. So there's some responsibility on our end to make sure that we are still on the roll. It shouldn't have to be this way, but this is how it is. And this is a dangerous game that they're playing, but they're winning. And they know that they're winning. And, you know, we're going to talk about libertarianism today, you know, part of it. But if you go back and you read about James Buchanan and the radical right and how all of that came about, 
you know, and, and it's so interesting because, um, you know, if you go and read the history, you'll see how many of them were enraged by Brown versus the Board of Education. You know, we start talking about the moral majority, you know, um, some of these white Christian conservative groups. You know, you have some people saying that these groups were created because of the gay rights movement, and that's not true. These groups were created because of their anger towards the Brown versus the Board of Education um, verdict from the Supreme Court. You need to understand and go back and read that history and understand where these groups came from and how they are inextricably tied. And there's a reason why I'm bringing up, you know, um, these white evangelical conservative Christian groups and libertarianism because there is some crossover that's happening right now. And and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, I'm saying that just to pique your interest and to give you a better idea as to where I'm going with this show and how it's all interrelated. And I've talked about these things over the past several years. We started this podcast in 2011, and we've been talking about this. And I remember specifically talking about white nationalism and black nationalism and 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 some of the dangers of that. But let me clarify something. When I talk about black nationalism, not all black nationalism is bad. And so I've had to clarify that because, because you know, there were some people out here misunderstanding and some people out here misconstruing my words, you know, and, you know, I I can't control how you comprehend the words that are coming out of my mouth. I can't control that. And I'm not one that's going to sit here and explain myself to death. You know, that's not what I'm here to do. But if I have to put more context and frame the context of what I'm talking about better, that's fine. Because I have no problems being corrected. I have no problems people telling me. I've come on the show and I've talked about things that I've discussed and where I was wrong. And I thank the people who come to me and tell me where I was wrong. This is how I learn. And I've never had a problem correcting myself. So anyway, going back to the white supremacists and the white evangelicals, and how these two worlds, you know, this is not new. This is this has been around for a while, but it seems as though it's being taken to another level with some of these blurred lines. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But you know, um, you know, you have these different people out here. Some of these so-called resistors that are out here that you know, in 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 many cases, have you know, stolen the playbook and some of their plays from black and brown, red and yellow resistors, and then you want to turn around and tell us how to resist. Now, it's not so much about our techniques that are wrong because you're using the techniques that we've used. The problem is you want us to bow down and kiss your virginal lily white asses, and it's not happening. 
Amy Siskind. And we've been out here protesting and resisting before your little pink pussy hats. And it's offensive when you come and you come to us and you act as though you've been coronated queens of the resistance. And this is the attitude many of you have, especially some of you white progressive feminists and women. Although 53% of you voted for Donald Trump. I'm going to leave that Amy Siskin thing alone for a little bit. I'll return to that one day. But, you know, it's interesting for some of these um, people that are out here resisting, black and white and brown, red and yellow, you know, if white supremacists approve of your protest and the way that you're protesting, then you're doing something wrong. And you need to keep that in mind. You need, to, you need to keep that in mind. And with that, I'm specifically talking about the protests that happened in Chicago with Father Flager and Jesse Jackson, and it was met with the approval of Rahm Emanuel. There is something wrong with that. And what's so interesting is some of the techniques, some of the things that are happening in Chicago where they're closing down a lot of schools in black and brown communities and these communities are being gentrified and, you know, that's that's coming. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. But, you know, a lot of what's happening in Chicago with Rahm Emanuel in the black and brown communities and with the school systems and the schools, how they're selling off the property and all of the equipment and all of those things, that is a direct play from the playbook of the radical right and the libertarians. And I need for you guys to understand that there are democratic libertarians. You know, and I read an article about that, and I've been doing some research on that. It surprised the shit out of me. You know, and I've been reading more and more about it. And I would encourage you guys to go out and read some articles about democratic libertarians and how a lot of this shit, the lines are real blurred. And I'll say this now, and I'm going to repeat it later on in the show. A number of these people, you may have atheists on one side, you may have believers on the other side, but where that line is blurred is when it comes to white supremacy, white male dominance, control, hierarchy, so on and so forth. That is where the line is blurred. You've heard me say that about white feminists and white supremacy. See, these worlds can come together and can agree on certain things, especially if if it maintains control and power and money. If it's based on control power, and money. That's where they can agree. And I need you to keep that in mind. So we'll come back to that because I got to talk about this gentrification bullshit, right? So, all right. 
I have not said anything about Omarosa yet. So we have come to our Omarosa section of the show today. And I'll say what I said on my page. I am here for Omarosa and this latest fuckery that's happening right now. While I may not agree with Omarosa, 90% of what she's said and done in the past, I'm not going to throw that woman under the bus. I'm not going to sit here and approve of Donald Trump calling her a dog. You know, he wanted to call her a bitch, a black bitch. But he can't do that. So he called her a dog. That's unacceptable. I can only imagine what he's been calling her in private. That's unacceptable. And what's so interesting about Omarosa is Omarosa is here for the long haul. And this is going to play out for a little while. What did Lulu say? He said, this is what happens when you cross a bitch from the projects. And I just thought that was really interesting. And, you know, like it or not, Omarosa is smart. And I'm sitting back watching this being played out in public, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. And Omarosa reminds me of some some folks that I know, one person I know quite, quite, quite well who plays these same types of games. They do it a little differently, but it's about the long game, baby. And so uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been interesting. And children, I will tell you this. Take a lesson from this. Take a lesson from this master class that Omarosa is teaching you. You know, my motto is play pussy and get fucked, you know, but you need to be especially careful if you fuck with someone who feels as though they have absolutely nothing to lose by fucking with you and fucking you over for years to come. Because by that point, it's become a sport to them. You need to understand who and what you're dealing with. Don't underestimate them. And, you know, Omarosa is playing to win. And I can't do anything but admire some of that. With the exception of, unfortunately, she's, oh, you know, it hurts because it's like there are some things that I want to say, but this is a black woman. And, you know, I don't want to throw this black woman under the bus, you know, but some of us have been harmed by some of the words that have been spoken by her and some of her actions. So I will acknowledge that. But, again, I condemn anyone who's out here calling her a dog or calling her, you know, out of her name. And, and trying to bring her to harm to her, fuck you. You know, and I'm sitting back and I find it interesting because I hear a lot of these folks out here saying, oh, I'm not going to buy her book, you know, and, and you know what? As long as you're reading books, I'm happy 
doesn't matter if it's a comic book or whatever, but for some of you, the only thing I see you reading are horoscopes and tweets talking about you're not going to purchase her book. And on the other hand, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let it go. But you ain't been reading, you weren't going to read her book. You're not reading any fucking body's book. And I think I better stop. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to purchase the book, and I'm going to purchase the audio book. I'm purchasing the book just to have the book, and I'm purchasing the audio book so I can actually listen to the book and read it, because I hear that she does the narration, and I hear it's absolutely hilarious. So I'm getting the audio book just so I can holler, right? So, um, and... (laughs) You know, I'm like, why the hell not? I purchased the book that the other white people wrote. You know, I purchased a couple of books that have been written by white people regarding Donald Trump. So why the hell not, you know, purchase two copies of her book, you know, the hardback as well as the audio book. And also, I'll even let her come to the barbecue and she can make her own damn plate, but she can't have none of my great pop, though. You know, we draw the line at that. Not everybody gets to have one of my great knee highs or my knee, my great crushes, none of that shit. So, um, Omarosa, I am here for the fuckery girl. I'm just sitting back and I'm watching, and I'm like, what the hell is really going on here? But she's bringing receipts. Can't really argue with that. And so it's been interesting. It's been amusing. And someone on Facebook, not Facebook, on Twitter was talking about Omarosa, talking about she's uh, she was out there being Inspector Gadget and shit. And I find that shit hilarious because I'll tell you guys, you know, there are many different types of equipment that you can purchase that can get folks caught up in all kinds of snares. And what's so interesting is, you know, I made a comment about Omarosa on my wall. You can see it. My wall is open. And I was talking about how, you know, most people only respond to lawsuits, cease and desist letters, video, audio recordings, screenshots, you know, scanned evidence. And I just find it interesting. Then they get mad at you for protecting yourself. Ain't that some shit? So anyway, moving on. Um, I want to come back to the gentrification part because we're seeing this happen all over the country, and you're seeing them shut down schools in black and brown neighborhoods, You know, I always bring Chicago up as an example because I'm from Chicago. But, you know, this is happening across the country. And, you know, the difference between me and some of these other folks is when you're having these conversations or, better yet, debates, especially with some of these white liberals, when they're losing the debate, they'll always say, well, what about black-on-black crime? What about all the murders in Chicago? What about Chicago this, Chicago that, Chicago? This is always an out. 
And again, you hear me talking about deny, derail, and deflect. And this is what they do. And they love pointing to Chicago because Barack Obama is from Chicago. You know, and 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 you know, they this is their way of trying to shut down the conversations. And so, you know, I sit back and I watch these debates and these Twitter wars and all of that. And sometimes I just shake my head. Sometimes I'm over here laughing my ass off. And I'm glad that they have bookmarks on Twitter now because now I get to keep shit and and people can't see that I got it. But sometimes those bookmarks don't work. And so I end up harding things. And it's not that I agree with them or that I like it or whatever. It's like I got to come back to that shit a little later because that looks interesting. So, um you know, uh, it's been interesting. So anyway, you know, there have been a lot of problems in Chicago. And, you know, again, you know, people have been shot, you know, volumes. You know, is it's disheartening watching this. And so I'm laughing because I think on the last show I was complaining about you know, there not being enough black and brown people, you know, down in these parts where I'm living now. And, you know, part of me is halfway tempted to start going to some of these major cities and inviting them to move here, you know. And, uh, yeah, you know, I was saying I should start a campaign to recruit more and more black and brown folks to come down here. And I'm laughing because in the back of my mind, I feel as though as soon as I start that campaign and it start inviting folks, there will be a few people who will find activities to keep me intellectually and emotionally challenged, charged, occupied, and exhausted. And so it's just funny, you know, sometimes when I think about this and, you know, I say these things, you know, again, I'm not responsible as to how you comprehend what I'm saying. And, you know, you have people out here that will twist your words and misconstrue your words purposefully to suit their purpose. And I always find that interesting, especially some of the ones that try to do that with my words. And then when I turn around and um, pull the rug from under them, then they want to cry. Right? And so... um, (laughs) You know, let me make sure I make a couple of things clear. When I talk about looking for black and brown folks, I'm talking about people that I can talk to and relate to intellectually and emotionally. You know, it's about finding people you can relate to, finding people that have some of the same interests. And, you know, there are a few. There's, you know, it's like I'm meeting more and more people I'm getting out more, I'm doing more things, so, you know, I'm a much in a much better place. But when I talk about looking for black and brown people, let me make sure I make this real clear. That does not mean that I'm on the prowl. So stay out of my inboxes with the bullshit because you're going to fuck around and piss me off. Okay, I got to make sure I'm make making it clear. I am not taking applications for new play toys or new dependence. You know, you can keep your damn headaches and problems to yourself, So, and I'm not soliciting to be your savior either. So go ahead and keep it up, fuck around, and get a restraining order served on your ass, and then you'll be out here claiming that I'm me. So 
I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, fuck around, fuck around and piss me off if you want to, and I'm going to leave that at that. answer to that question is fuck you and no. Okay? Anyway, getting back to the gentrification thing here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like I said, you know, when I see these conversations, you know, I just start thinking about things. You know, even where I'm living now, you know, seeing gentrification in certain areas and, you know, revitalization and these modernization programs that they're putting in place to revive certain areas of town that have been deemed as the trouble spots that, you know, white people now want to move back in and buy up the property because it's cheap. And in some cases, they just want to tear the property down and rebuild one of their little McMansions in the area, and they want to raise the property value and move their friends over there. And so, you know, when I see people trying to define gentrification, you know, you have a number of different definitions out there. But my definition always has been and always will be gentrification is deporting black and brown people out of their own neighborhoods. You are being deported. Okay? And I've had people get angry with me because I've I've um I've described inner cities, urban areas as, you know, black and brown reservations. Right? Because that's basically what they are until the white people decide that they want to come back in and buy your property up for cheap and then deport you out of the neighborhood and and put you in neighborhoods where they know they're going to stop the public transportation system, put you in neighborhoods where they know the industry, the manufacturing jobs, they're moving out, you know, put you in neighborhoods, whereas, you know, basically, um, you know, some of these smaller suburbs, those local governments are pretty much um, insolvent, right? And that's being done on purpose. You know, when we had, you know, Hurricane Katrina, you know, they were calling the black people refugees, How are you calling people in your own country, black and brown people, primarily black people in your own country, how are you calling them refugees? And see, what I need for you all to understand is when you hear words like that, that's, that's coded language for black people, refugees, black and brown people. That's racist coded language. You know, and so what's interesting, you'll have these white so called progressive liberals. And in some cases, you know, these conservative Republicans moving into these neighborhoods and purchasing the property next to nothing, they, they, they'll purchase the property for next to nothing, they'll move on, move in, they'll call 911 on the black folks for everything, including from laughing too loud to walking down the street after, 17, after 7 p.m., selling waters or the snow cones or whatever. Everybody knows that's the candy house. That's where you go to buy the candy and the chips and the snow cone and the ice cups. 
and you want to kick us out of our own neighborhoods and then turn around and put all these Black Lives Matter signs into in your lawn and in your windows. You know, as for me and my house, Black Lives Matter, God damn it. You know, you put these signs up, and what's so interesting about it is that in many of these cases, in many of these scenarios, there are more Black Lives Matter signs in the neighborhoods than there are black people. How does that work? And it's happening everywhere. You know, you've heard me on this show. You know, there are a few of you out there. I swear you don't own any other T-shirts other than Black Lives Matter T-shirts. Now, mind you, I do wear my T-shirts that has Black Lives Matter and other, you know, unbought and unbossed, you know, and a number of other T-shirts that I have that, you know, um, that have, like, these sayings and these phrases and, and, and these acknowledgments of different groups. Yeah, I have those, Right? And I wear them often. I'm trying to put a message out there. But some of you white folks that are doing this, especially specific two or three people, you're doing this because you're trying to exploit that movement in an effort to build a platform and a following for yourself. We see you. We know what you're doing. But, you know, all, every picture I see, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, you know, you're trying to go to every damn rally. Even if you're only there for two minutes, you want to check in and take a picture with a few black people to show that you were there. How many black people have been to your house? How many black friends do you have? I'm talking about real black friends, not the black friends or the black people you call friends that that, that you, you only see and come into their company when you're at a conference or convention or at work and barely at work because, you know, you've been pushing the black and brown folks out slowly but surely if they ever really work there. And I'm not talking about the service people. I'm talking about colleagues, people that sit in queues, like one or two cubes over, or people that have an office, or one of your vendors. And I'm not talking about the black people you see at school, barely. And I'm not talking about the black people that are servicing you. And like I said, that could be housekeeping, that can be food service, that can be in and No, I'm not talking about those black people. They're your friends when you want some extra peas and carrots. Those are your friends, you know, when you want them to, you know, vacuum extra hard, vacuum twice under your desk, right? Because what's interesting is that, you know, for some of you, you bend over backwards to try to keep black and brown people in those types of positions to serve you. So anyway, but I'm talking about real black friends, not the black people who are conveniently your friends when you're out in public, like I said, at conferences or, you know, conventions or what have you. So anyway, la, 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 like I said, you know, there are times 
when um, all I can hear is the Smurf theme song when I think about and talk about certain people and situations. So anyway, today's show title is Dear White America, Caping for Control. And so I wrote, please join us as we discuss the aggrieved white men in America who feel that they are being discriminated against because of their gender and whiteness. Some of them believe that women and the black and brown people need to be put back in their place in the proper hierarchy. Also, they need to ensure that they keep their white dominance in the hierarchy of control and power. We can't have too many immigrants and refugees disrupting the balance. The mental gymnastics to justify and rationalize their belief systems has astounded me over the years, and I continue to watch with amazement at the sheer ignorance and fear-driven politics, right? And so, you know, I find all of this, you know, quite interesting. And, again, um, Blurred lines, baby. Blurred lines. They can find. They can, you know, in theory, hate each other, but they know how to come together if it's going to maintain control and power, especially for cisgendered, heterosexual white men. This is true, and you know it's true. And especially, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, because these worlds are mixing and they're spilling over into one another for the sake of white supremacy, for the sake of white dominance, for the sake of control. You know, we got to maintain that hierarchy and that status quo. And we've talked about this over the years on this show. You didn't listen to us then. And some of you that did listen wanted to accuse us of being hyperbolic or or uh, <laughs> of being hyperbolic or not having a sense. Oh, he was just joking. No, he wasn't fucking joking. Oh, well, you just don't understand. No, I understand perfectly well. It's you who don't understand. And so what what we found even more hilarious is that you know, two, three years after we, you know, sounded the bell, the clarion call, put it out there, some of the white people were like, oh, well, look at what we discovered. You ain't discovered shit. And especially when it was a few of you that were pointing the finger at us saying that we were wrong. And then all of a sudden you discover it. You're Columbusing shit, Right. You know, and, you know, I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing this shit being taken to another level now. And I hope you listen. You know, because, I mean, I've been seeing some discussions about this type of shit, but the conversations have not necessarily been as pointed. They haven't been as direct as they need to be. And this needs to be called out more and more, you know, um, you know, on Twitter. Now, for those of you that are out there, you don't see me posting a lot on Facebook that much anymore. I'm over on Twitter for the most part now, you know, retweeting things, you know. I'm an introvert, 
So I don't do a lot of talking, and I'm sure some of you are like, well, we sure as hell can't get you to shut the fuck up on this show. Yeah. Yeah, good luck with that. It's my show. I'm going to talk. Talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk about, for however long and how many goddamn times I want to talk about it. Why? Because it's my show. I pay for it. And fuck you if you got a problem with that. Okay? So just as long as we're clear and we understand about that. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting back and um, I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm watching these conversations, right? And so you have people on there talking about, you know, some of the changes that Jack is making on Twitter, and basically he's trying to, quote-unquote, mix it up so that we will see more opinions of people who may have, you know, the total antithesis belief system that we do. And so the conversation has been the only people not being, you know, suspended and banned from Twitter are the white supremacists and the hoteps. And that's true. And it's just really interesting because what I've been trying to get through to people, and I need for you all to understand it, is that they have the same motherfucking message. One is white supremacy and white face, and the other one is white supremacy and black face. Nevertheless, is white supremacy. And what I find interesting about some of these particular hotel black nationalists, when I say black nationalists and I talk about it in a negative sense, I'm talking about these hoteps, right? And so over the years, you know, I've seen quite a few of these hoteps um, incorporating libertarian talking points into their platforms. And, you know, we're seeing it more and more. What's interesting is, you know, they're platforming some of these hoteps, these black hoteps or black supremacists or black libertarians or whatever the fuck you want to call yourself now, right? And so they're being platformed even more and more and and not only with, you know, speaking engagements and appearances, but also with, you know, writing, you know, if you want to see some interesting um, black libertarian writing, which most of it is just ass backwards, yeah, go over to Quillet or Quillette or however the fuck you want to pronounce that. But I, I say it's Quillet. So if I'm saying it's Quillet, it's probably pronounced Quillette, right? And read some of that bullshit over there, some of that red pill shit they got going on over there. And um, it's been interesting. And I can already hear the clickety click, click, click being blocked left and right because, you know, it's just a matter of time before I start pulling out your tweets and your videos and clowning. Why? Why not? You know, and, you know, I find it dangerous for some of these black nationalist hoteps out here that are beating the libertarian drum and being rewarded handsomely by Mr. Charlie and Miss Ann. Because, see, what they're doing is they're hiding behind these particular 
secular hotels, black nationalists, they're hiding behind them and using these black libertarians as cover so that they can hide behind their I'm not racist talking point. Now, this is nothing new. This has been going on for a while. And we've talked about it and we've called it out on this show. But, you know, now I'm starting to see, you know, uh, some of these works being promoted by people like Sam Harris and Michael Shermer and, you know, and they're over here playing footsies with Charles Murray and Jordan Peterson and the likes, right? And, you know, again, these worlds are mixing because Jordan Peterson is allegedly a Christian, but yet he's playing footsies with Sam Harris and Michael Shermer. And they're unabashed atheists, right? And I've been saying for a while, talking about the, you know, white atheist, you know, evangelism that's been taking place. And, you know, what's interesting is you'll, I'll get pushed back sometimes for some of the black atheists. Well, a few, select few. They're like, well, atheists mean without religion. So, no, atheism is not turning into a religion. Yes, it is, this new atheism. Oh, baby, it is a religion. It's scientism. And your four horsemen, with the exception of Daniel Dennett, those are your gods. Daniel Dennett is probably the only one that I respect. And I've made that clear. And so, you know, when I see the blurring of these lines, because um, Michael Shermer just did, you know, a cover of Jordan Peterson. And I just find it interesting. You have Sam Harris and you have Michael Shermer covering Jordan Peterson. And you have Sam Harris covering Charles Murray and the Bill Curve. And they're talking about how they're against identity politics. They're talking about these hierarchies. They're talking about a number of things, basically, that are based in white supremacy. That is where they can, that is where they can agree, regardless of your religious affiliation or your non-religious affiliation. They can agree on that hierarchy and how they are at the top of that particular hierarchy, and because they know better and they know what's best for the rest of us, that they should be able to make these decisions and we should follow up. And then they go and they find a black libertarian who will recapitulate their talking points verbatim and say, See, no, you're saying that what this person is saying is racist, but I don't see anything racist in it because they didn't use the word nigger. And then you have these white supremacists that feel justified because they've sent their, their, their black talking piece up there 
they've sent their black friend up there, their black so-called colleague up there to cape for them, right? And this is happening more and more. So getting back to what I was talking about, you know, um, you'll have these black libertarians that will come out and say, well, if you read the Constitution or you read this law, it says all men are created equal. That is what it says, so that is what it is. Therefore, this is not a racist nation, and white supremacy does not exist, and there is no such thing as white privilege because it doesn't say that. It says all men are created equal. And that's what it says, and that's how I accept it. You black libertarians, you. And what's so interesting is, you know, when the when when the conversation comes up, and and we talk about how okay, this is what this law says, but this law and this policy is not enforced. It is not put into action, which means it's useless. The black libertarian will turn around and say, but it doesn't matter. That is what's written, and that is how it is. And, you know, and it's not just the black libertarians. You know, you see these white people out here, these white libertarians and these other ones that will give you the same talking points. And it's so funny because when they call up and they start talking about these things, and I call it out within the first two sentences, you're a libertarian, aren't you? They want to talk around. You all have not figured, look, we study you. I'd study you, okay? And it's just really interesting when you want to trot out, you know, your your black friend, your sassy black friend, or your your you know your convenient black friend who will come out here and perform real time blackface fetch and step routines to cover you, as long as you're putting money in their pocket. And so what's so interesting is, you know, when you have some of these people out here, you know, uh, exalting the virtues of the bill curve and basically tearing down Black Lives Matter or any type of identity politics, you'll, you'll have, you know, one group of these hotels and some of these folks saying, well, you know, what are they talking about? We disagree. And then the white supremacists will say, well, no, we support this group, this black group, this brown group, this blah, blah, blah. And then what's interesting is, you know, some of these same black secularist hotels will say, well, you haven't given us any money. They equate supporting them with dollars and cents. The underlying theme is money. If you give them money, they will say whatever you want them to say, but you haven't paid them to support you yet. And this is why I need people to pay attention to what's happening out here with some of these folks. Oh, well, they gave us $5, so yes, now we support them. You know, and what's so interesting about some of these folks is that they pride themselves about not talking about racism because they don't want to upset their sponsors. You know, and it's so funny because in smaller venues, you know, smaller 
private venues that they know that most of these folks ain't listening to, they'll make comments about how certain communities put too much support behind other communities. For example, the LGBTQ community. But they won't say this in a larger venue. Wonder why that is, right? And so, you know, I just need for you all to pay attention to what's happening because, you know, for $5, some of these people will defend you if you are open, blatant racist. Pay for that support. Cheap support, but you paid for it nevertheless, right? And so with that, you know, I just want to redirect you guys to do some research on how, you know, some of these aggrieved, cisgendered, heterosexual white men, how they feel as though they are the real victims of sexism and that white people are the real victims of racism. There was some type of poll that was out that said that basically 67% of people feel that racism towards white people was a very real thing and 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 how they were concerned about it. And I guess when you're so used to being in a dominant position and and receiving benefits and privileges just for the simple fact that you're white, when you have to share a little bit more with black and brown people, I guess you do feel as though you're being discriminated against or something is being taken away from you. That's that white privilege that you claim doesn't exist. And so um, go out there and read. You know, you're always going to have some black and brown folks that are willing to go out here. You know, a good example is Dinesh D'Souza. You know, after he was pardoned, I think one of his thank you talking points to the white supremacists that pardoned him and, and give him an audience, you know, he started talking about reinstilling slavery. So you need to think about these things. And these particular groups and types of people will use and utilize whoever they can find to perpetuate their message and to provide them cover. You know, and um, I just, I need for you guys to be more vigilant. You know, I need you to be more vigilant. And what's interesting is, especially in the atheist, the new atheist secular community, on how they pride themselves as to presenting facts and and not being emotional and, and you know, about the situation and presenting facts but not feelings. Yeah, you're all up in your feelings. And and it's just really interesting on how some of you are using science and so-called logic and all of these things to justify primacy and systems that are in place that oppress, you know, marginalized communities. And then you try to say that, well, that doesn't exist. 
you know, writing articles about how there is no such thing as wealth inequality or categorizing, um, you know, categorizing the state of some of these communities as just bad luck, right? You know, you have these men, men's right activists out here, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, using the terminology of red pills or red pills. You know, I used that on purpose because I wanted to get your attention. And for those that have been listening to the show, you know, that's not the type of language that I use. So I did that on purpose because I'm talking about the men's right activists that are out here too. And again, you know, all persuasions, ethnicities, cultures, races, you know, you have people falling into this. And what's so interesting is there are people out there that I consider reasonably intelligent that are falling hook, line, and sinker for this shit. And so, you know, I'm sitting here and trying to get a better understanding as to what the hell happened, right? Because you can't possibly be that ignorant or dense, but they are. So, uh uh-huh, you know, it's, it's really interesting because at one point in time, you know, people thought of these this type of politics as, you know, again, straight white males, but those those lines are being blurred. But especially when I start seeing religious people and, you know, secular people coming together to justify racism at every level, you know. And, I mean, this is not new, but it's like it's taking it to a new level at this point in time. And I need for you all to understand how dangerous this is. What they, what do they call They call it race realism. And with Charles Murray and his bill curve, that's pseudoscience. This Jordan Peterson guy, you know, this is really, really dangerous because, again, he's a so-called Christian, but from my understanding, he questions whether or not the crucifixion or resurrection happened. I think it was the resurrection. I I don't have those particular notes in front of me, but, um, you know, he questions some of that. But what's happening is with Jordan Peterson, He's taking a lot of the Christian tenets and has found a way to sell it and sell out stadiums, sell books, you know, um, and, and you have some atheists or secularists or skeptics or whatever you want to call yourself who are trying to figure out how to sell out stadiums like that, who are trying to figure out how to sell, you know, books like that. And now they're cross-pollinating, if you will, and helping one another, but I believe that the majority of this boils down to dollars and cents, right? 
it boils down to money. And this is where a lot of that danger comes in because, you know, you have some very influential people out here that are um, reeling folks in these communities in. You know, and again, it's about maintaining the status quo. And we've called out this movement. We've talked about how, you know, um, conservative it really is, not progressive as they like to, um, you know, portray themselves. They want to call anyone who disagrees with them, especially the so-called social justice warriors, they want to label them as regressive and the regressive left, right? And and I hear some of this rhetoric coming from some black people too. And, you know, some of them will not own the title of being a black libertarian, but if you listen to their talking point, that is exactly what they are. Black libertarians with a price. And so... You know, um, there was a young man online, Kevin Bird, and I retweeted it. And it's actually a really good thread, and it's talking about this, you know. And I also tweeted another thread, and I posted this other thread on Facebook, and it's talking about Nancy McLean's book, um, Democracy in Chains. And in this particular thread, it's talking about libertarians, Klansmen, and 45, right? And basically, you know, the thesis for her book, and this is coming from Terry Canefield, who did a thread on this. And basically she said McLean's thesis in Democracy and Change is libertarianism is based in racism, and libertarians have a stealth plan for subverting American um, democracy. And, of course, the libertarians are hot about it. They're not happy. But that goes back to what I was talking about earlier about the radical right and I brought up James Buchanan, and I, and I brought up the moral majority and the conservative white evangelical groups that are out there. All of this is tied together, and all of this is tied together with the Southern strategy. And what's interesting is you'll hear, you know, some of these 45-loving white supremacists and, and libertarians talking about the deep state and counter-establishments. And the reason why they can talk about it is because that is who they were and that is how they rose to power. And I need for you guys to go out and to read your history and to get a better understanding as to where these people came from and how these particular movements came about. But if you go back to Kevin Bird and and you read some of what he's, you know, writing, these are things that we've talked about on this show. And this one tweet here, um, his, his at is, it's Birdemic, I-T-S-B-I-R-D-E-M-I-C. So if you're looking for him on Twitter, at sign, I-T-S-B-I-R-D-E-M-I-C. And for this particular tweet, it says, in fact, I think it shows how science and reason can just as easily be used to harm and oppress people as religion. Instead of pieces on scripture, we have race realism, genetic determinism, sex, gender, essentialism, all of which operate to maintain and justify harm and suffering 
Atheism and science doesn't necessarily make the world a better place if you still use them as a cover for bigotry or as a way to prevent substantive changes in the material well-being of disadvantaged groups. And this is true. And so what's interesting is, you know, one of the things that I've pointed out on this show is with some of these libertarians talking about free markets, they don't mind if a restaurant discriminates against people and don't want LGBTQ folks to come in their restaurant or don't want black or brown people to come into their restaurant or don't want non-Christians to come into their restaurants. They feel that it's, it's a free market and that these people have the right to, you know, discriminate. I mean, it's a wet dream for them, right? And so I see their so-called free markets as the same thing as the free will argument that you have from Christians. You know, one of the free will arguments is everybody knows the difference between good and bad, you know, good and evil or what have you, and yet you have the free will to choose which one, right? And, you know, there are a number of things that I've pointed out over the years that parallels these communities. You know, they're mirror images of one another. And I remember taking so much heat talking about these things, which I didn't give a damn about because I continued to talk about it. You know, and, you know, I stepped away from the secular community, you know, for a number of reasons. Number one, most of them are full of shit. Number two, the community, I mean, that movement has pretty much imploded, right? And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to, you know, basically give CPR to a corpse that's been dead for three days. There's no amount of CPR that's going to bring that person back to life or bring this movement back to life. You know, and so you see some of them regrouping and revamping, trying to find another way to 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 remain relevant to gain a bigger following. And, again, as I've pointed out in the past, when you have movements like this, especially when you're talking about a certain group of people, especially libertarians, and the way that their particular ideology is set up is that before they will compromise, they would rather tear it apart and destroy it and rebuild it and compromise with you because they have the resources, they have the money and the people to be able to do that. And it took some of the white feminists in the community a long time to realize that. And, again, it's about maintaining dominance, which is why you saw some of the attacks that you saw from some of the white men in the community. And which is why some of the black and brown, red and yellow people in the community, why they were being attacked by some of these white men in the community. Because it's about maintaining control. You can be in our community as long as you do what we tell us to do and as long as you make us look good and we approve of your message, right? And so um, you have people you know, like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris and Charles Murray and Michael Shermer and a number of others that are anti-identity politics and, you know, 
anti being inclusive, um, you know, and, you know, I have my critiques over how some of these white people and organizations, I have my critiques as to how they define inclusivity and diversity because, uh, you know, I've seen quite a few, quite a bit of this in action and it's bullshit on, on their behalf for the most part, right? And I've called them out, which doesn't make me too popular, but I don't give a damn, you know, because this has never been about money and popularity for me. And I just find it interesting some of the people that are now coming out and have been putting out these talking points, and these are things that we were putting out there in 2012, 2013, you know, in subsequent years, of course. But, um, you know, seeing I'm seeing some people that I thought were good people being sucked into this narrative. And I've watched some of these conversations, and I say to myself, you can't, you can't be that dense. I can't believe, on one hand, you're, you're very intelligent, but with this right here, you know, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know that somebody stole your cotton candy. You know, while you were in the middle of a bite, I'm not sure what's happening. And what's so interesting is you have some of these folks, especially some of these brown and black folks in these particular communities that, you know, for the sake of keeping the peace. And when I talk about this, I'm not specifically pointing at the hoteps, you know, when I say these some of these black and brown people. You got some of these people that are not hoteps, they're black nationalists that will get out here and say, well, I can see both sides and, you know, um, you know, we got to look at it from both ends. No, the fuck we don't. And I used to kind of fall into that trap a little bit. No, no, the hell we don't. Because, see, what I've come to realize is with that both sides argument, that both sides bullshit, what you're doing with that is basically you're saying that white people you know, they can perform deeds that are bad or evil and and or what have you and still remain individuals. They just performed a deed that was frowned upon by other folks. But they can vindicate themselves, you know, from that by by committing two or three good deeds, you know, to make up for that one bad deed. However, in that same particular argument, when you present the black and brown side, to me what I'm getting from that is you saying that black and brown people are bad by nature or inherently bad collectively. Not performing a bad deed, but bad by nature. And that's bullshit. And so you have to be careful when you start putting forth those arguments about I can see both sides. I'm sorry, but I can't understand the side that a white supremacist is coming from. I don't understand 
45 and what he's doing. When I say I don't understand it, I'm talking about I don't see it from his side. And that's bullshit, you know, for those of you that try to force us to see both sides of this particular coin, and especially when you're platforming white supremacists and, in some cases, some of these hoteps, which in some cases are white supremacists and black faith. And so, um, yeah, I um, need you to pay attention. And, you know, you got some of these, well, that's not fair. Yeah, it is fair. You said it. You did it. You know, um, you know, there was a quote from Sam Harris. How can we get to a world where we cancel the worst effects of bad luck? To me, what that's saying is, you know, things are fine the way that they are. This is how it's always been, and this is how it always will be. This is what I'm comfortable in. And this is how I think things should stay. And too bad for you people who have landed on the side of bad luck. But that's not something I have to worry about. That's not my world. That's not my reality. And and in order for us to recognize your humanity, it has to be done within you know, within a parameter that makes me feel comfortable. See, that's the thing. With some of these white people that fall into this particular category, they don't want to have any type of discomfort. They want the world ready and available and at their beck and call for their convenience so that they can continue living a good life as as however they define that. And so, again, you know, um, this new skeptic movement, this new atheist movement, community, all they've been, you know, the way that I see it is all they've done to me done, well, not to me, all they've done, well, yeah, all they've done to me, and when I say to me, I'm not talking about me personally, but all that they've done to me or they've contributed is showing us that they are a mirror image to the very religious community that they point the finger and mock, right? And we've talked about that over the years. And I'm seeing it being taken to a brand new level. And a lot of this is about dollars and cents, you know. And what's interesting is one of the commenters, Renee Stevens, she said, what's funny is how many atheists, skeptics, and skeptics overlook Peterson's mysticism because he's the dad they always wanted and he harnesses the discomfort they feel when their unexamined traditionalism is challenged, mostly dudes, mostly white dudes. 
mostly cisgendered, heterosexual white men. And what's interesting is with this Jordan Peterson, he believes in forced monogamy, right? And, you know, there have been allegations of transphobia and homophobia and, you know, um, yeah, you know, just check it out. Um, Just check it out. You know, I need for you to um, start calling this shit out. And there are a lot of people that have left the skeptic atheist movement for a number of reasons, but this is one of the reasons why. And as I stated at a talk that I gave um, at the Freedom for Religion Foundation conference, just because of people like, you know, Sam Harris, Michael Shermer, um, Christopher Hitchens, and a number of other ones. This is why you don't see as many black and brown people in this community. But what's unfortunate is there are a few of black and brown people in this community who are nothing but self-serving opportunists. And you validate them and encourage that type of behavior because it provides you cover. And in many cases, the behavior, the antics, the actions are no different than the behavior and antics and behavior of um, a lot of the Christian communities you point the finger at. And like I said, these lines are being blurred. You know, these communities are cross-pollinating. And to me, the most common denominator is the white supremacy, the white privilege, you know, white dominance, cisgendered, heterosexual white men being in control. And so anyway, you get a chance, go out to Terry Cannonfield or Canefield, K-A-N-E-F-I-E-L-D. I don't know why I got Cannonfield. But Terry Canefield and the threat about libertarians and Klansmen and Trump, oh, my. And, you know, if you put that in a search on Twitter, it will bring up the thread. And it's actually a really good read. And there's an article in The Atlantic, and... You know, it's talking about James Buchanan and, you know, who he is and how he's built this movement and the think tanks that were born from this particular movement and how, you know, this birthed the Koch brothers and and what's happening today. And like I said, I need you to go and look up Citizens United and ALEC, especially about the Constitutional Convention that they're trying to put together to make some changes to the Constitution. And um, I don't have the information in front of me, but you have to have a certain number of states, and they have, you know, they're getting there quickly as to the number of states that want to put together this constitutional convention and make changes to the Constitution of this country. And it's being lost. 
you know, on what's happening, you know, um, is being lost. And it will be to our detriment to not pay attention to what's happening. So anyway, what's the name of this article here? The name of this article is The Architect of the Radical Right, and it was written by Sam Tannenhouse, T-A-N-E-N-H-A-U-S, Sam Tannenhouse. The name of the article, The Architect of the Radical Right, you can find this on the Atlantic website, and it's actually a really good article. And, you know, it tells you about, you know, how the libertarians came into existence and and how it was put together and what their mission and their goals happened to be. And so I had someone the other day on my thread, they, they specifically talked about right libertarians. And I'm sure there are some out there that consider themselves left libertarians, democratic libertarians, however you want to put that, and I would encourage you guys to educate yourself on this because, like I said, you know, I don't necessarily want you to take my word for it. I want you to trust but verify, but I need for you all to pay attention to what's happening with the social safety net programs in this country. I need you to pay attention to this this upcoming constitutional convention because at this point I believe it is going to happen because people are not paying attention. And also there's so much news coming at us at once that it's just an overdrive. It's overwhelming. You know, and you're missing it. And you're missing the points. And you're missing what they're, you know, the the plans that are being put in place. I mean, they're trying to put together, you know, um, another tax plan, write off more money, you know, for the haves, right? And um, we just, we need for you to pay attention to, you know, what's happening with the tyranny that's happening in this, this country. And, you know, someone put out an argument, and we'll talk about this um, a little bit later, but they were talking about the classification of middle class and how black people should not call themselves middle class because when you talk about middle class, what it's referring to is, um, well, basically is is racially coded, right? And what I would tell you to do is to think about that and then think about the New Deal and affirmative action being for white people and the middle class how the middle class was created, and they are absolutely correct when they say the the words middle class, how it's racially coded. There's a lot of truth to that. So, anyway, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to live for yourself, not convert you. Once again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I look forward to talking to you guys again, and I'm not done with this particular topic. I'm just done with it today. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Take care.